0: We're in the midst of peace talks this fall if you're visiting with us. I know that that is uh, usually a phrase that's attached to war. Oh, we're glad that they're finally in peace talks. Well, it's because we've declared war on worry. We realize that we may not be able to avoid anxiety, but God has pointed us to the truth. We do not have to let any anxiety rule our lives. Now, don't take my word for it again. I want you to hear from God. And as we've done for the last nine weeks, I'd like to ask you to do one more time with me is to look at his antidote for anxiety in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. But not just look at it. But let's say it again out loud together, all right? So throw back your shoulders, fill your lungs with air and your heart with hope, and let's say that together as a family. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. For the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Amen. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning wanting to believe those words, leaning into those words. We have been attempting over the last couple of weeks to apply them, to remember them when um, news came into our ears or a situation was dropped in our lap and all of a sudden we found ourselves worried sick. Eat up with the threats, as my nanny used to say. Thank you for the truth that's in them. Thank you for what we're learning practically to apply them. And I asked the same this morning. But Father, I know we're not the only ones who uh, want to live anxiety-proof. We want to lift up this morning, Living Waters Assembly of God great brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to live the cross just like we are, who are thrilled about the hope of the resurrection and all the life that it means for us, not just in the, in the by and by, but now, wanting to be filled with the Spirit. So please, as we cry out to you this morning, hear their cries as well. As we lift up praises to you, hear their praises as well and knit our hearts together so that truly we can be a mighty oasis of peace in this world. And we ask us in Jesus' name, and everybody said. Kent and Amber Brantley's story (coughs) gripped our hearts for several reasons. For many, it was due to the courage that any American would display in going and placing himself in harm's way when the stakes were so high, their own life. But they also grabbed our hearts in a a deeper way because they were Christians. They were American Christians who had gone overseas to fight the killer virus Ebola, Now, I say both. Kent was the one who actually was there physically, but I promise you Amber and the rest of their family was there as well. The Brantley's nightmare grabbed our hearts, and it grabbed America's hearts, so much so that Time magazine nominated Kent, and he won the Person of the Year Award in 2014 for his efforts in fighting Ebola in Liberia, Africa. CBS News first reported of their dark circumstances on a Wednesday evening on July 23rd. It was then that we learned that Dr. Brantley took a seat on his couch. He opened his journal trying to collect his thoughts because he had spent the entire day reeling from the effects of an illness he suspected was either malaria or Ebola. And he prayed it was malaria. This medical missionary for Samaritan's Purse was there in Liberia caring for many who had already contracted the disease for which there was no sure cure. None. The epidemic was killing literally thousands of people as much as any person in the world, Dr. Brantley knew the consequences of this dreaded disease because he had personally seen to the treatment of dozens and dozens and dozens of cases. He knew the symptoms, the soaring fevers, the severe diarrhea, the nausea, and he had seen the results of the virus many, many times. But for the first time, he was feeling the effects himself. His colleagues had drawn blood and began tests. It would be three days before anybody would know the results. And so Dr. Brantley quarantined himself in his own cinder block house and he waited. His wife and his family were across the ocean. His colleagues were not permitted to enter the residence. And so, quite literally, he was alone with his thoughts. And in that moment, Ken turned to the Word of God. He opened up his Bible and he turned to a passage in the book of Hebrews. And like a soft rain soaks this dusty hill country, he allowed God's Word to soak his heart and mind. He meditated on Hebrews 4.11. He said, God gives us a promise that we will enter into his rest. and So he encourages us never to give up. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest. Dr. Batley read those words and he circled the make every effort phrase. And he decided that's exactly what I'm going to do. He kept reading. He paused in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in our greatest time of need. He wrote that verse word for word in his journal. And when he came to the word confidence, he underlined it twice and circled it twice. He closed his journal and then he waited. Three unbelievable days. Three days of unspeakable discomfort. And then came the news that indeed he did have Ebola. Amber, his wife, was at home in Abilene, Texas. And she received a call from Kent on Saturday afternoon. When the phone rang, she stepped into her bedroom to receive it. Actually, it was her parents' home, so I guess she was in her former bedroom. And Kent went straight to the point. Sweetheart, the test results came back, and I'm afraid that they've confirmed, I do have Ebola. Amber said she just began to weep and sob. The two talked for just a few moments because Ken said he was too tired to talk anymore. He would call her back when he'd regained some strength. Now it was Amber's turn to process the news. She went and told her parents, and the three sat on the edge of her bed. They all wept together for several minutes, and after a time, Amber excused herself and walked across the field to an old mesquite tree. A low-hanging branch was there, and she sat on it. She writes, I tried to pray, but I found it difficult to put my concerns into words. And so I began to sing some hymns that I remembered as a little girl. She sang, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thou compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. She said that so lifted her spirit, she began to sing louder another song. I need thee every hour. In joy or pain, Come quickly and abide or life is vain. I need thee, oh I need thee, every hour I need thee. So bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. She later wrote these words, I thought my husband was going to die. Yet through the singing of those hymns, I was able to connect with God in the most meaningful, peaceful way that I could remember in a long, long time. Any of this jogging your memories at all? Remember the story? I'm just kind of curious. Just nod if you do. Okay, a lot of nodding. Maybe you remember watching the reports of the Brantley family unfold. Maybe you remember the decisions of Kent's colleagues to give him an untested trial antidote because time was running out. Maybe you remember watching his transport from Africa to Atlanta and then watching him as he climbed out of the back of the van and carefully walked inside the hospital. I remember our family celebrated the news of his improved condition in prayer, but our hearts soared when we heard the news that Kent was cured and would fully recover. And I want you to know again this morning that I'm grateful to God to be able to tell you that story. And if you want to see the movie of that story, we're going to show it right here in this auditorium, 6.30 Wednesday night, called Facing the Darkness. Really is a great movie. You want to come see it. Be here Wednesday night, 6.30. It's going to start sharp, so be here. But I'm grateful to God for that story. But I think we can celebrate the cure for another devastating malady. An emotional virus that I think is every bit as contagious and every bit as life-threatening. It's the unseen virus of anxiety. Kent and Amber were prime candidates for worry, yet they reacted to the presence of anxiety with the same deliberate resolve that they reacted to the presence of the Ebola virus. They took control. Can I remind you from last week? They took control of the air traffic that was trying to land, that was flying over their minds and their hearts, and they refused to let Satan land his horrible cargo and unload it inside them his alarming assumptions, his anxiety-driven fears. Now, they couldn't prevent those thoughts from flying over, but they could prevent them from landing, like they did God's. They didn't just welcome him to land. They welcomed him to make his home in their hearts and in their minds. Kent opened his Bible. Amber opened her heart to the truths that she had connected to some songs from her childhood. They did exactly what the Apostle Paul prescribed in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true... Whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you think about those things, okay? And the peace of God will be with you. Now, (laughs) if, if there's a recommended diet for the mind, Paul would tell you, that's it. This is it. These are the green vegetables of the soul. Anybody here like green vegetables? I don't much. My wife loves them. Now, I do like a few I love fresh asparagus with bacon. I love green beans with bacon. I like jalapenos with bacon. That's my kind of eating green, you know what I mean? But my wife eats greens called greens. How about that? Nasty stuff. Me, not so much. But every adult in this room knows that to live a healthy lifestyle, we've got to put specific healthy foods into our bodies even if they aren't always as tasty as some of the others available to us. The same is true for a peaceful lifestyle, we found out. You've got to put healthy thoughts into your mind and heart if you want a life marked by peace and joy. It's not an option. We've all heard if you want to feel good tomorrow, you need to eat good today. You heard that? It's good to be a picky eater. But it is equally important, maybe more, to be a picky thinker. So think of the Apostle Paul as our thought dietician, all right? Because like it or not, every food needs to be qualified in order to be actually placed in your mouth. There are some things you would never, because they're poison placed inside there, it would kill you. As we're going to see in a couple of weeks, there are thoughts, there are things that you surround yourself with that are poison. And if you allow them in on a regular basis, they will destroy you. And some of them are. More on that in a moment. That's why Paul says there's got to be some thoughts that need to be qualified here that we think, that we dwell on. They've got to meet some standards. Did you hear those nine? It must be true. If we're to think on it in this body, which is Christ, if I've been bought with a price and I'm to glorify God with my body, then he gets to choose the thoughts that stay inside his mind very long. Right? Follow that line of logic? He buys me with a price. I belong to him now. And so everything that's, that's mine really is his. And so he would like his thoughts in my body to be good. And so he says, start with those that are true. Don't you allow any alarming assumptions to just land in your airport, root in your ground, in your garden of your mind. Don't you do that. Make sure it's factual. Make sure it's actual. Don't don't allow the what-if bandits to get in there and steal your joy and your peace. Ask, is this true? Is this actual? Is it factual? Or is this just what-if? Or could-bes? Or might-bes? Number two, Is it noble? That means, is it worthy of respect? We don't use the word noble much, but just think about this. Is it worthy of respect? That eliminates anything that's immoral. It eliminates anything that's degrading to another person. Anything that humiliates or belittles. Empty your mind out of those things and you're on the track to having room for something that's noble and respectful in your life. Number three, Paul says it's got to be just. It's got to be a blessing to all parties involved, not just for yourself. Some jokes are funny to you, right? Right? Not so to somebody else. Make sure what you're thinking about and what you're talking about is just. Make sure it's pure. Not tainted with sarcasm. Not tainted with cynicism. Make sure it's lovely. Is there any beauty in it? Is there any magnificence in it? Then focus on those things. It's got to be admirable. No need for slander or gossip or negative bashing. It's got to be excellent. Is it an asset to life? Is what you're thinking about truly of benefit? Is it praiseworthy? Would God stand right next to you and applaud with you? Yeah. Think more about those thoughts. If they don't meet those criteria, let them go, let them go, let them go. Don't let them land. Sometimes you can't prevent some of the things coming into your ears because of what people say. But you don't have to let them dwell there. So we take care of our dwells. Remember, we talked about that last week. We're responsible for what we dwell on. Not necessarily for what flies over us, but what lands and what dwells in our minds and our hearts. Some say you are what you eat. Have you heard that phrase? You are what you think. I know lots of exceptions of people. I watch them eat some stuff going, whoa, that's going to kill you, and they don't die. But you know what? I watch people put stuff in their minds all the time, and it's killing them every single time. No exceptions. It's stealing their peace. It's stealing their joy. It's stealing their purpose. You are what you think, friend. So the big idea of this passage is simply this. Please... For the sake of God and his body that belongs to him, meditate on good things. Now, pause button. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with thought management? Gail and I are going to take a week off to um, kind of recoup from eight funerals in 11 weeks. The last one being my dad's. But when we get back, Lord willing, I've asked the elders if I could do a series of lessons piggybacking on this one called Lord of the Screens. And the thought behind this is most of our thinking today is done with screens. Isn't that the truth? All kinds of screens. We're doing less thinking from books. We're doing less thinking from even respected individuals. We're doing a lot of thinking through screens. And so, following the line of thought, if Jesus Christ has bought me with a price and I am now his and he's Lord over everything in my life, he ought to be Lord over the screens in my life. Amen? Okay, we're going to talk about that. And I want to say right up front, it's it's a lesson that I really want your prayers about. Because... Uh, if there's a series that we've done piggybacking this one that's more relevant, I don't know of one. And so I just want to say this if you've been waiting to invite someone because you're, you know, really maybe the peace thing isn't relevant to them, the screen thing I can guarantee you is, and I can promise you this, it will not be a sermon series where we come and burn our screens on a given night, all right? It's not going to be a sermon series that says all screens are from the devil. That's not true. As a matter of fact, one of the things we're going to, this entire lesson is going to be spent on how we can engage screens. To lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Christ. Oh, these are great tools, folks. For both God and Satan. But that's when we get back. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Your most valuable weapon against anxiety weighs 2.7 pounds. And it's right between your ears. And it is the gift of all gifts that God's given us in this world. And it is the thing that God has allowed us to enjoy to combat anxiety. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word. It's a point of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He actually preaches on the top of anxiety right in the middle of it. He begins the sermon by saying, listen, don't worry. (laughs) You don't have to be anxious. Don't settle for that nonsense that you think that that's a normal part of life. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about your life. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. And then he gives two commands to help fulfill that request. He says, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to look and I want you to consider. I want you to look at the birds of the air. He means this. I want you to go outside and take some time to look at the mockingbirds and the morning doves and the cardinals and the hummingbirds if they haven't flown, flown south from your neighborhood yet. Go look at the birds. And when you do, you'll notice something. They're not grumpy. They're not. They're not lonely. They're not frowning. They're not sleep deprived. In fact, just the opposite. They wake up in the morning and a lot of them are singing. Have you noticed? Jesus says, I hope you do. They don't sow. They don't gather in the barns. Yes, they're active, but they're not pushing and stressing and hoarding. They're just not. Jesus says, then, once you've seen those birds, I want you to lower your gaze from the sky and the birds to look out over the valley and to to notice the flowers there. Specifically, he says, I want you to consider the lilies. Now, church, remember, he's helping us treat anxiety because he said, don't worry. And here's how he says do that. Look at the birds, but then consider the lilies. They're not eat up with the frets. They're just stretching in the sun. Oh, stretching up. You're talking about raising hands. They don't have to be told that. They're raising everything to the sun. They are. They're just raising their hands. And they're not stressed and worried and pushed and fretting over anything. They're not worried that they're not bloom, they're not in the right place. They're just blooming right where they're planted. They just are. And Jesus says, I want you to notice them. And he draws a comparison. Even with the richest king at that time that had ever lived, Solomon and says, Nobody looked as magnificent as Solomon did, like those lilies do. And don't you think, he says, that God takes care of silly little flowers and silly little birds. Won't he take care of silly little you? No, precious little you. The Creator himself says we can disarm anxiety by looking and considering all that our God has created and asking the question, if he takes care of them, won't he take care of them? The more our eyes and our minds are full of his beauty, I promise you, the less we're going to suffer the downward spiral of negative worryism and thinking that just produces discontent and destructive actions. Let me say it just this way. Here's your little handle for the day. We manage anxiety by managing our thoughts. We do. Now, I know some of you were looking for something a little bit more mystical. I know some of you were looking for something a little bit more supernatural. The supernatural part is the Spirit says, I will move inside you, and I will help you manage your thoughts. I will help you do that. But they're your thoughts, and I've got to be welcome to do that. He's given us the incredible tool to filter out anxiousness and worry. from. It's 2.7 pounds right here between your ears. And he says, I'll come alongside and I will help empower that mind to work at its fullest. And you experience in your day-to-day lives joy and peace so that you can rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Always. Let me say it again. Rejoice always. I'm so glad I didn't have to make that up. I just have to keep sharing it with you because some of you guys are going to finally get fed up with living in anxiety and worry all the time. The key to peace is not in the emotions that you feel, but in the thoughts that you think. And so if you want to feel peace tomorrow, then you got to think God-centered thoughts today. That's why Colossians 3.2 says this. Set your mind, not passing glance, set it on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. Daily, but especially when tragedy comes Especially when the unthinkable gets dropped right in the middle of your lap. That's what happened to the Brantleys. They went over there to serve and to care for those who needed them. And they did so wholeheartedly and willingly. But then he gets Ebola. Spends three days waiting for the results to come. And what does he do? He sets his mind on God's Word. He turns to passages that helped him focus more on God than on this incredible disease that was threatening him. That's what his wife Amber did. When the confirmation came that sure enough, it's Ebola. She turned to some songs of truth in her heart from her childhood, in which God says, "I'm right here, and I know, and yes, you need me, and, but I'm not changing. I've never changed, and I'm right here for you." Now the Brantleys are living proof. Bad things happen to good people. I mean, just a little bit of that I've told you here. They've they've made some decisions. I mean, this is a man who's got a medical degree, could be making a lot of money here in the states, but he decided to go and and to work with Samaritan's Purse with some of the poorest of the poor and you know, to help them where he can. And so even for those who have such a laudable pursuit of life, they experience tragedy. And Jesus said, it will happen to every one of my disciples who say yes to following. Don't you let anybody on any sermon, on any channel, anywhere, tell you that if you believe enough and if you give enough, then you have this totally blessed life. Not true. Because Jesus said, if you're my disciple, I can guarantee you, troubles are coming. But you can have peace in the midst of them. Next slide. In me, you can have peace in them. And you can know that together we're gonna overcome them. We are. One way or the other, we're gonna overcome them. I know some of you are facing some challenges that just absolutely rock your world, and so I do not say anything that I've said in this series glibly. I've had my own. Talked to a lady this week who's lost the love of her life. She's only blessed to be married to him for about two years when the cancer suddenly took her from him, from her. She's been married twice before, and now she's buried both husbands, and she doesn't want to be alone. But she said, I trust my Lord. Talked not long ago with a couple whose husband, hear me clearly, molested their daughter. He has sought treatment. He has received it. He is deeply repentant. He has walked in a healthy lifestyle now for a couple of years. His wife still loves him. She misses him. The kids miss him. And they're looking for a second chance together as a family. Are they filled with a little bit of anxiety? You bet they are. But they will tell you, they trust Jesus to lead them through this young man is at a Division I college. He's scheduled to start his sophomore year at Center. He's been diagnosed with leukemia and may have to drop out of college to take his treatments. He may lose his scholarship for it and may lose his ability to be able to go to that college. And yet he said, I know that the Lord will provide. All of those I've mentioned are believers. They're the real deal. And they're living the truth that when life gives you a bucket full of anxiety, Jesus will show you how you can get to it before it gets to you. Lawrence Scruggs is living proof of that. And we'll end with this on December the 3rd, 2011. This fashion model was excited to see the Christmas lights of her Dallas-Fort Worth home. And a local pilot was offering the chance to do so in his single-engine Aviat Husky. Lauren recalls having had a great time. It was absolutely amazing to see the lights over her hometown. And after they landed, she departed the plane in the dark, and she remembers the engine had stopped, and she had assumed so had the propeller, but it hadn't. And she walked right into it. It was still quietly spinning, and so when Lauren walked into it immediately, it knocked her to the tarmac. It severed her left hand completely. It damaged her shoulder awfully and damaged her left eye so much she eventually lost it a couple of weeks later. And as you can imagine, she was devastated. But she was surrounded inside and out with family and friends who trusted that the Lord would lead them through this. That he both gives and takes away. So before anxiety could get a hold of them, they got a hold of anxiety and they handcuffed it just like Kent and Brantley did. First, Lauren did with song. One of the favorite songs that was being sung at the time was Blessed Be Your Name. On a road marked with suffering, when there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. You give and you take away, and I choose to say blessed be your name. Her mom, literally that evening when she saw her daughter in a pool of blood on the tarmac, started saying over and over in her heart, Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do more than we could ever ask or think. God is able to do more than we could ever ask or think. God works all works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. She said, I started quoting those verses over and over and over again. And this family has seen, now that we're years behind that, that God did so much through that accident that never could have been done any other way. And they give him, listen to me, glory for it. And they've learned so much about how they can represent Jesus of the world through it. I don't take my word for it. Watch. The latest on the miraculous survival of former model Lauren Scruggs after she walked right into the spinning blades of a plane propeller. Which sliced her face, her shoulder and her left
1: hand. Doctors performed surgery to remove her left eye.
0: This morning, she is once again communicating. When asked her name, she said Lauren. When she saw her parents, she said, I love you.
1: My parents had always taught me that beauty was internal, but I didn't fully understand it before my accident. I think how I defined it then was more focused on outward appearance because after my accident i realized oh my gosh i don't feel beautiful right now and it actually doesn't matter and that's not what should define me what really matters is your character um your contribution to the world how you're serving people how you're using your story to encourage others your story is just so much more beautiful than your outward appearance it's so easy to focus on that because we constantly have things pouring into us that's like be more beautiful or just even social media alone comparing to other women and looking through magazines or watching tv it's just all right in front of us so it's so easy to just solely focus on outward and when i'm really focused on my outward appearance, I know it's a trigger that I'm not doing well emotionally or spiritually, and I really have to search for what's going on inside of me. Beauty is fearlessness. Beauty is trust. is courage.
0: I think God would agree with Lauren. Beauty <laughs> is fearlessness. Real beauty is trust. Real beauty is love. And lasting beauty is courage. Lauren Scruggs and Kent Bradley are both living proof that you truly can be anxious for nothing. And I think it's a thing of beauty whenever we see it. Amen. So, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to encourage one another with an aim that God has given us to find peace in this world. We've been saying it over and over again. And then we added to it the action step uh, of the next two verses. And so together we're going to go one last time. So again, fill those lungs with air and those hearts with hope. And together let's say this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, finally, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about the, the peace of God, which, wow, that's a mouthful, isn't it? But my goodness, I think it's a lifeful. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning and we give you praise and glory and honor. And we want to not just say but sing how blessed you are that you both give and you take away. And that regardless of where we're at in the moment right now today in that, that we can trust you to bring peace into our lives. That we can trust you to bring joy even today in the midst of some of the most crushing of circumstances that we walked in here with. Father, you deserve all the glory. And all the praise. Please receive this now. For we offer it in the name of Christ. Amen.